Do you know that 78% almost of the Bible is the Old Testament? That leaves 22% approximately of the Bible as the New Testament. Now, New Testament is vitally important. I understand that. But when we don't preach the Old Testament, we are leaving 78% of the Bible out of the way. We're neglecting it, 78% of the Bible. That's a lot. I don't think that that was God's intention. But America has neglected the Old Testament for years, as you, as you all probably know. And uh, we don't want to do that here. We want to, not that we're so great, we're not so great, uh, not that we, you know, we would attempt something like the Minor Prophets. doesn't make us anything special at all. We're, we're learning. I'm learning. I'm rather intimidated by the whole idea, to tell you the honest truth. <clears throat> Ryan did, uh, recently did Habakkuk, and uh, I'm going to attempt Micah. I say that because Mike said that was, I was somewhat adventuresome this morning in, in attempting that. That's not, well, that's, I would say intimidated by the whole process personally because it's not done as a rule. And so, but... We, we want to do, we want to preach from the Old Testament. Do we not? Is it not important? Why don't we preach from the Old Testament? I think one reason is because people are lazy. They don't want to study it. Preachers are lazy. I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about the general run of preachers out there are lazy. They don't want to study and find out what the Word of God is saying in the Old Testament, in particular in the Minor Prophets. Some people aren't interested in it. They say, well, that's we don't, we don't need that portion of Scripture because it's just not very interesting. There's a lot of cities it mentions in there. Beth Lahafra, uh, La Micah 1.10. What is that? So let's stay away from that. Some people think the Old Testament is a second-class testament. It's just not up to par with the New Testament. Some people think it's irrelevant. That was back in the day when Israel was here and there was prophets and a lot of crazy stuff happening. We don't need that now. We can't get anything out of it at all now. But, you know, Micah, for example, Micah, Habakkuk, is just as much the Bible as Matthew is, is it not? It's just as much the Word of God as Romans is. I mean, it's the Word of God, any way you look at it. Romans, extremely important book. Micah, however, is the Word of God. You know, if we don't understand the total revelation of God's Word, Old and New Testament, there's going to be something missing in our theology. If we don't have a, a grasp of the whole scripture, there's going to be something missing. You ever hear somebody make a statement from the pulpit or from in preaching or teaching, and you think to yourself, that's a rather strange statement that individual just made. Sounds biblical, but there's something not right. And it's because they didn't have in their minds the total picture of the scripture when they said a statement. And I'm telling you that for our theology to be what God wants it to be, we have to have the will of God fully unfolded to us in both Testaments. And the true church in America, I'm talking about the true church in America that believes the Bible, has neglected the Old Testament. And especially have they neglected the minor prophets for years and years. Try to find sermons on the minor prophets. Good luck on that. They're not out there in abundance. So we're not going to say anything more. Let's just go on home. I couldn't hardly find any sermons on it. <laughs> but we must discipline ourselves to be students of God's total revelation, minor prophets and all. So turn to Micah chapter 1. It's, I'll help you find that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Micah. It's after Jonah in the Old Testament. That's one way you can find it. I know some of you have already been looking and you found it, didn't you? Micah. Let's read chapter 1, verse 1. This is an introductory verse introduces the whole 
the background of Micah. It says there, the word of the Lord which came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, I don't want you to get Micah confused with Micaiah. Some of you are thinking, oh, wait a minute, you mean Micaiah, the son of Imla in 1 Kings? Not that guy. Okay? This is a different guy. His name is Micah. Not much is known about Micah, and he's overshadowed by his contemporary uh, prophets, those that prophesied the same time he did, guys like Isaiah and Hosea. Both prophesied the same time that Micah did. Nevertheless, Micah was passionate, and he was a man of convictions and a a man of uh, boldness when he preached the word, and he sought to please God and not to please people with the message that he presented. So regardless of whether he matches up in your minds to Isaiah and Hosea, nevertheless, he was God's man for that particular time and that particular place. Now, Micah is an abbreviated form of the word of the name Micaiah, uh, which means who is like the Lord or who is like Yahweh, we could say. And so his name, Micah, was a message in and of itself. He carried this name around with him wherever he went, and, and he was reminded constantly who is like Yahweh, who is like the Lord. God is incomparable. There's no one like him. He's in, in a class by himself. God is unique. He has no equal. And so... Uh, his name was a message in and of itself. Look at Matthew, uh, Micah chapter 7. And he uses his name in verse 18. And he says, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity? He uses it in connection with the forgiving nature of God. Who can be like you, Lord, a God who would even forgive iniquity and sin? So we're grateful for God's forgiving nature. Now, Michael does, uh, Micah rather does not detail, I'm going to say Michael, I know I am. Micah does not detail his call like others did, like, for example, other prophets. You think of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, who saw the great vision of God, and he saw the holiness of God as his train filled the temple, and he saw the holy seraphim, and he said, and it, and it was said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and, and Micah fell down and realized his sinfulness before God, and God cleansed his lips and said, I've cleansed you, now go and preach. Or or rather, he said, who shall go for me? Whom shall I send? And Micah said, here am I, send me. And and so you have the detailed call of Isaiah. And then you you see, for example, Jeremiah, and I'll just read this to you. In Jeremiah 1, it says this about his call. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah said. And God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Very clear call of God to Jeremiah. What about Ezekiel's call in Ezekiel 2? Ezekiel says this, The Lord said to me, Son of man, and that's what he called him often, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. God said, I'm sending you to those people to preach my word. And then Amos, in Amos 7.15, Amos says this, the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. So you have these detailed calls, but when you come to Micah, it says this in verse 1, the word of the Lord which came to Micah. That's it. Not a great detailed call, no fanfare, a very brief statement, no highly descriptive vision like Isaiah received. It's, It's very basic. 
But make no mistake about it, even though Micah did not receive some great earth-shattering call, he was God's man, God's prophet, to do the work that God wanted him to do, to preach his word. And this is a prophetic revelation that he received, the word of the Lord which came to Micah. The word of the Lord which came to Micah. That's a technical term for the prophetic word of revelation. And don't pass over that too quickly because it's, it's a very interesting statement. I found, found myself thinking about this phrase a lot the other night, the word of the Lord which came to Micah. And two uh, facts emerge from this statement. One is the source of the message. And secondly, the responsibility of the messenger. The source of the message is it, the messages of divine origin. It says the word of the Lord. The word that came from God. It's a message of divine origin. And you know similar statements are made by others, like Hosea said the same thing. Jonah said the same thing, the word of the Lord which came to me. And others did. Many times the prophets would say, thus says the Lord. And they'd preach his word. To show that they had divine revelation, direct divine revelation that came to them in order to preach the word of God. Well, let me give you a couple of observations about this. In connection with this thought, the word of the Lord coming to Micah. First of all, God's word is authoritative. Because of its divine origin, it's authoritative. It has the backing of God behind it. It's got the stamp of, of approval of God on his word. It's not the work of some man. There are many books who, that proclaim to give you an answer to life or that, that they say that this is what life is all about. But the word of God is the only one that actually delivers the Koran uh, claims to have be some sort of a divine revelation of God, the Book of Mormon also and others, but only the word of the Lord carries the authority of God with it. And by the way, those of you who preach the word today need to remember that, that when you stand to preach the word of God or when you teach the word of God or you t- when you tell your children the word of God or in your context when you tell a friend about the word of God, that you have the authority of God backing you because his word is authoritative. It carries the authority of God. And so when you open the word of God to preach it, realize that you have the approval of God upon you in doing that, whether it's Micah or whether it's Matthew. And then in connection with this idea that, of the source of the message being authoritative, being from God, God's word is inspired. As you know, Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, No prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The word came from God, as it did to Micah here. And so the word that the prophets preached, and the word that we preach, which is the same word of God, has been breathed out by God. And this is what God blesses his word. Nothing more and nothing less. If you see a church growing by leaps and bounds, and they are just having to build a new building and, and remodel and constantly and, and go forward, and their church is exploding. But the word of God is not being preached there. The blessing of God is not upon that church. That's not the blessing of God. You know, the power of a, a charismatic personality can build a church. Uh, entertainment can bring many people into a church. People go to hear entertainment. Uh, man-made programs can build a great organization, and I'll call it a church. But if the word of God is not preached there, then it's not got the blessing. That, God didn't bless that church and make it big. 
Now, if God makes a church big and his word is being preached, that's a different story. Otherwise, God only blesses his word, and that's what he wants. And so the source of the message is the first fact to emerge here. And then secondly, the responsibility of the messenger. Micah 1.1 says, the word of the Lord which came to Micah. Now, it's interesting. I began to think about this, and I thought, why did God, why did he come to Micah? Why did it come to him? Was he special? What's the reason for that? And, and the only answer we can give is, is that, yes, Micah was a prophet, but only so because God sovereignly chose him to be a prophet. God sovereignly decided in his will that Micah would be the prophet in this particular time uh, with, with some others as well. It's God's sovereign, his will. And so we've got to conclude that, as Micah did, because he received the word of God, then he had the responsibility to proclaim the word of God. It stands the reason that he received it, now he must proclaim it. God did not allow Micah the privilege to receive the word of God in order to keep it to himself. He got it and received it from God because God wanted him to tell others about it and proclaim it to other people, and that's exactly what he did. And so along with this reception of the revelation of God's word was this responsibility to discharge it to others, and that's what Micah did. He preached the message he received to the nation of Israel. Now, some people think the word of God is, is a, merely, a mere academic uh, subject to study. And we look at the word of God and we, and we uh, read through the scriptures and study and we want to know about things like eschatology. And we want to know about end times and what's going to happen and what about this view and what about that view. And we, we want we to uh, you know, delve into that more and more and more. The problem is this. And it's, and it's good to study eschatology or the doctrine of last things, the doctrine of end times, or any other subject in the word of God. But if it becomes an end in itself, now you have a problem. And I think one of the dangers of our church, as Mike has said many times, is that we could have the danger of letting the study of the word of God become an end in itself instead of discharging our responsibility to study it for the purpose of proclaiming it to others in the context in which you find yourself. We don't want to be in danger of that. Back in the 1500s, there was a uh, 15th century, there was a shy and reserved individual by the name of John Calvin, <clears throat> who I think had just written his great work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. He was 27, basically by and large had written it. And his intention was to spend the rest of his life in quiet study writing theology. He didn't want to be bothered with anybody. He just wanted to study theology and write about it. That's all he wanted to do. Nothing wrong with that. That's what God wants you to do, by the way. And so he decided to travel to Strasbourg, France. He went on his journey to go to study quietly theology. Unfortunately, he ran into a war on the way. France was fighting against the Roman emperor. So he had to take a detour through Geneva, Switzerland. You ever heard of that city? Where he decided he would spend one night. As he was about to go to sleep for his one night stay in Geneva, Switzerland, a knock came on the door. It was a Frenchman by the name of William Farrell, one of my favorite, favorite guys in church history, who was a fiery evangelist, William Farrell was, and a bold individual, and didn't mince words at all. He asked Calvin to stay and help them in Geneva in the church there. Calvin said, no, you understand, you know, I I'm sorry, but I'm, I want to go study theology quietly. I'm going to Strasbourg, France. That's my goal. I'm going to do that. And Pharaoh told him in no uncertain terms, God will curse you 
if you leave here and go to Strasbourg and spend your life studying theology in quietness and peace. And the history says Calvin was terror-struck and he gave up his journey. Spent most of the rest of his life in Geneva preaching and proclaiming the word of God to those people. Calvin had been given the opportunity to learn the scriptures. And now he was proclaiming the scriptures, discharging his responsibility that God had given him. He did not hide it in a corner. God gave Calvin the opportunity to learn, and now he expected Calvin to proclaim that word. You know, Paul said much the same in 1 Corinthians. I'll read this to you. Chapter 9, he said this. Paul said, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. He says, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I have this responsibility laid upon me. He said, if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. He said, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. And that stewardship involves the fact that I'm to discharge my responsibility of preaching the word of God and the gospel, and that's what he did. And Micah had a stewardship entrusted to him, and he was expected to carry out that stewardship by virtue of the fact that where the Lord came to Micah, he had to discharge it. Let me ask you a question. And I know guys in here have been given this, and, and, and not only the guys, everybody who has been, had the opportunity to learn the word of God, has, has the word of God been entrusted to you? Have you had the opportunity to learn in your context? You say, well, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not talking about that. Maybe you did go to seminary. Maybe you went to Bible college. Maybe you didn't. But have you had the opportunity to learn the word of God in your context, in your church, in your setting? If you have, you've been entrusted with the word of the Lord, right? And now he expects us to go out and proclaim his word. Has he called you to do this? Has he equipped you to do this? Then he expects you to proclaim his word. It's our responsibility. It's laid upon us. Even if we are shy and don't embrace that, you say, where do I proclaim the word of God at? In your sphere of influence, at your job, or maybe from a pulpit, or maybe in a, a school like USF, or maybe in, at your job, or wherever, your neighborhood, whatever setting you're in. Don't forget that verse, to whom much is given, much is what? Much is required, right? God expects us to proclaim his word as Micah was expected to. Look at Micah's personal testimony in chapter 3, verse 8. <clears throat> Micah's got this authoritative message to preach, the subsequent responsibility that goes along with it. And look what he says. He's con con contrasting himself with false prophets. And in Micah 3, 8, he sa Micah says this. On the other hand, as opposed to the false prophets, he says, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage, to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. Micah says, I've been given the responsibility to proclaim his word, and God also has enabled me by his spirit to preach his word with power. And that's exactly what he did. It's like Paul said in, second, in 1 Corinthians. He said, I don't come to you with wisdom of man's words, but I come to you in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And that's what my preaching is, in the demonstration of the spirit, Paul said. So we must not depend upon ourselves as we preach the word of God or maybe an inherent natural ability you have, but we depend upon what? The spirit of God. If you're a shy, reserved like John Calvin, what do you depend upon? The spirit of God. If you're bold, what do you depend upon? The spirit of God. He's the one who does the work in the hearts of people. It's always that way. Look what John Calvin did in Geneva, the work that God used him to do there. 
Now, Micah has been called the prophet of the poor, but more accurately, he should be called the prophet of the oppressed because there were many injustices in society in his day, and he was preaching against those injustices. There was corrupt rulers, false prophets, ungodly priests, and Micah preached against that. Look at, that, look at Micah chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> at the beginning of verses 1 and 2, he says this, Hear now, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil? He's already getting on them because these people are all, all wrong anyway. Look at verse 5, beginning. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. Uh-oh. We already got a problem. And Micah's addressing the problem of corrupt, false prophets. So Micah is the one who, who preaches against the injustices of society. Now let me talk about Micah's hometown because it says in Micah 1.1, the word of the Lord which came to Micah of Morasheth. That's where he's from. That's his hometown. Uh, you know, many prophets were identified by their family members. You notice that in the scripture? It says of Isaiah, Isaiah, son of Amoz, Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, Ezekiel, son of Buzi. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about Micah's father here or his heritage or family. It says Micah of Morasheth, literally Micah the Morashethite. He's associated with his hometown. Now, where's that at? Well, it just so happens that Ben, my companion in electronics put this map together for me and this is where Micah is from right here Morasheth Gath it's surrounded by it's called Gath because of Gath right here now the reason that is is because there was five cities in Philistine territory which is right here Philistia on the coast of the Mediterranean and five major cities belong to Philistines here they are Gaza Ashkelon Ashdod Ekron, Gath, those cities right there. And so the city near this area, near Gath, was called Morasheth Gath. It was near Gath. That's where Micah was from. That's about 25 miles from Jerusalem. That's where he prophesied, mainly Jerusalem. It's not that far, really, but that's where he was from. And I just wanted to give you the, some idea of where, of where that was on the map. That's why we brought it out. Um, this area is called the Shrey Law, by the way. I did a paper on the Shrey Law. We had an archaeologist teacher who said, who called it the Shrey Law, even though there's no R in the words, it's P. So I call it the Shrey Law from now on, forevermore. The interesting thing about this is, and it plays into Micah, this was where when a foreign army would come into a country like Assyria to attack, they would go through what? The Shrey Law on their way to Jerusalem because it was like a lot of valleys, easy to get through, accessible. So they'd come through here on their way to attack Jerusalem. They'd go through Micah's hometown oftentimes. So his hometown was messed up all the time, it seems like. Uh, Solomon fortified cities in that area often because he knew they were going to come through the western approach to Jerusalem. So he was always concerned about that. Uh, we'll talk about more, that, uh, more about that later. What about the time of Micah's ministry? Micah 1-1 again. He's from Morasheth. He prophesied in the days of Jotham. Three kings here. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. <clears throat> now, the scriptures that uh, cover this time are basically found in 2 Kings 15 through, 15 through 20. And I know you're gonna, not going to remember this unless you write it down. 2 Chronicles 27 through 32. 2 Chronicles 27 through 32. And uh, Isaiah 36 to 39. Now, there's others, but those are basically it. Uh, and the time of his prophecy was, a, was the 8th century. Now, Mike and I were at 
Burger King the other day discussing uh, time periods in the Bible, a great place to discuss this kind of issue here. And Mike said, you know, people don't know what 8th century means, right? I said, yeah, I know. I, I know that. So how about this? He prophesied from about 750 B.C. until 686 B.C. Does that help? No. <laughs> it doesn't, right? How about this? He prophesied some 700-plus years before Christ came. Does that help? Or how about this? We could just say he was back in the day. Okay? So Micah was during this time period, a long, long time ago. And he only mentions three kings of Judah. He doesn't mention, mention any kings in the northern kingdom. Let me explain something here. Sometimes I explain things because some people don't know. I know the rest of you know this. Some don't know this. So there was, this was in the time of the divided kingdom. First of all, there was one kingdom of Israel, okay? Then it got divided. Israel in the north, the northern kingdom. And you have Judah in the south, the southern kingdom. So you have two kingdoms. And, and the times he, talk, he talks about the three kings in Judah at the time, and he talks about no kings in the northern kingdom. It was getting to be a bad time for the northern kingdom, by the way. During this time, Assyria, remember Nineveh? The people Jonah went to, those wicked, by the way, this is a wicked, cruel, dangerous nation, nation Assyria was. They were growing in power, and they would come through during Micah's time, and they would basically obliterate, within 25 years, obliterate Israel off the northern kingdom off the map. They would take them into captivity in 722 B.C. That was during the ministry of Micah. Now, I'm going to avoid a long history lesson here and keep things as simple as I can. Just let me tell you a few things. Before Micah ministered, there was a period of prosperity, and material, material prosperity, economic prosperity that took place. But when the death of uh, the king of the north, Jeroboam II, took place, one writer said it, was a, it became a tale of unmitigated disaster, and everything went down the tube from there. But let me just tell you this. This is important to Micah. During Micah's lifetime, there were two major forces that were at work. N number one was this, um, <clears throat> moral corruption within, and secondly, the Assyrian uh, force from without. Those two forces took place during this time. The moral corruption within people involved social injustices, practices in business that were, that were wrong or dishonest, and corrupt leadership. And the Assyrians were bent on capturing all the neighboring nations, running through them so they could collect all their taxes and be enriched. And so you had those two forces. This is the world that Mike administered in. And let me tell you something. I've thought about this often. If there's any one time in history I would not want to have lived it was anywhere near Assyria when they were in power. That nation was scary, and they did scary, horrible things to people. This is not a good time, especially for the northern kingdom. What about these three kings in Micah 1.1? Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Well, if you'll turn with me to 2 Kings, we'll stay there just for a little while, 2 Kings 16. You'll see the background of some of these kings. That's, Syria was so scary that Elena cried there. I would cry, too, had I lived in that time period, by the way. 2 Kings 16. We have the first king, Jotham, is mentioned here. Jo you, you know, when you read about this, we're doing this for this reason. I want you to understand the background of what's going on with Micah. Micah's writing during a certain time in history. We need to understand what was going on, okay? He's ministering during the king, reign of the king Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. What, what was going on with these guys? Well, Ahaz, uh, the first one is Jotham. Um, 
Second Kings 16, he was a good king, overall a good king, but he did not deal with idolatry like he should have. Look at 2 Kings 16, I'm sorry, 2 Kings 15, 32 through 35. 2 Kings 15, 32. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, here he is. Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the son of Zadok. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He's got a good start, right? He's doing what's right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Only, here's the problem, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. That's his problem. Good king, yes. Did he deal with idolatry like he should have? No, he did not. And that's a problem, isn't it? He didn't deal with everything he should have as a leader. And that's to the leaders, you know, we need to deal with, you need to deal with everything that is under your leadership. Or in our lives, we need to deal with things that we don't, you know, we leave something to the side and don't take care of it like we should. And God wants us to deal with it. And God wanted him to deal with that. He didn't do it. And then what about Ahaz? Look at Second uh, Kings 16, 1 to 4. Ahaz was a wicked king uh, in Judah. 2 Kings 16, in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, here he is, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as God as his father David had done. He didn't do what was right. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Never a good thing to walk in the way of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom. Those guys are bad guys, generally speaking. Even Look what, what he did, verse 3. He even made his son <clears throat> pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. This guy was in, into idolatry. He was so bad... <clears throat> that he gave his own son and sacrificed his own son into the fire to a false god. Ahaz, bad king. Micah is ministering and preaching during the time of Ahaz. Next king, Hezekiah. Look at 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah was a godly king, and with God's help he withstood the Assyrian attack, and he brought people back to God with a revival. Look at 2 Kings 18.1. It talks about, verse, verse 1 says Hezekiah was the king. Verse 2, he was 25 years old. Verse 3, he did right in the sight of the Lord, <clears throat> according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places. Oh, he takes it in a next step. He doesn't just do right, he gets rid of the idolatry. He breaks down the sacred pillars. He cut down the Asherah, which was a, an idol. Listen to this. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. What? The bronze serpent that Moses had made, what do you mean? That's back in Numbers 21. When they made that bronze serpent, they said, because they were being bitten by snakes, look to that bronze serpent and you'll live. The people made an idol out of that in time. Verse 4, he broke that in pieces. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to that idol. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. He clung to the Lord and did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. 
He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Took a lot of guts right there, by the way. So here's Hezekiah, a godly king. These are the pre these are the, the kings that Micah ministered under. You got a king, a good king, but kind of wishy washy on the idolatry thing. You got a wicked king who is so wicked he sacrifices his son to a false idol. You got a godly king, Hezekiah, who takes a stand for God. That's who Micah ministered under. Now we said that there were other prophets ministering during this time. Isaiah is one. Hosea is one. Isaiah 1.1, 1, 1, I'll just read this to you. It says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. I should have just told you to turn there. Everybody's turning there. <laughs> Three of the kings that Micah ministered under, Isaiah ministered under. If you look in Hosea 1.1, 1, 1, the same thing. We won't take time to read it. Hosea ministered basically during the same time. With, those, with three of those kings as well. So those guys ministered in different places at the same time. Uh, it says in Micah 1.1 1, 1, that he saw this vision. It says, which, which Micah saw concerning, uh, the word of the Lord came to Micah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now we know that in the Old Testament, the prophets received revelation in different ways. My, uh, Moses was, had an intimate relationship with God. God spoke to him face to face, it says. And other prophets received visions and revelations from God. The word saw here can mean to see something physically with your eyes. But it can also mean a prophetic revelation and a divine revelation from God. And that's what it means here with Micah. Micah had a divine revelation from God. Now, we don't know how this took place. It just says these words, which he saw. That's all it says. We don't know how it took place. We don't know the details. We don't know what kind of experience it was. We only know that the word of the Lord came to Micah and that God revealed this to him. He saw it in some manner and that he he acted upon what he saw and and proclaimed it to others. Who's the intended audience? Verse 1 tells us. He saw this vision concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria and Jerusalem. Those are the capitals. Preached to Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. He preached to Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. He preached to both these capitals. Mainly he preached to Jerusalem, but he included Samaria. You'll see that next week, I think, in chapter 1. So he preached to both. It's kind of like addressing the United States through Washington, D.C. I mean, doesn't everything come out of Washington anyway? Uh, all our information and, and many things. And so kind of represents what happens to the rest of America. And so everything took place in the capitals. And so a lot of stuff. And so God went directly to the capitals, or Micah did, and preached directly at them and said, hey, I've got a message for you. What about the purpose of Micah? <clears throat> a man by the name of Craigie says this about Micah. Micah has been called the conscience of Israel. When you When you see his words, You're going to see why. He's been called the conscience of Israel. And as such, his message was designed to prick the conscience of those who had long ago abandoned the integrity of Israel's faith. This is what preaching is designed to do, to affect our conscience, right? Remember when Stephen preached in Acts 7? What does it say? It says, when they heard Stephen preach, and by the way, Stephen's message, if you read it in Acts 7, is a bunch of history of Israel. But... He let him have it, too. But when he gets through with it, it says, uh, it says, when they heard the message of Stephen, 
They were cut to the quick. They were convicted. Their conscience was affected by what he heard. And this is what preaching is supposed to, is supposed to do. It's designed to affect the conscience so that you'll realize, I've got to get right with God. I've got to live for God. I've got to do the right thing. And then you turn and repent and do what's right. When we hear Mike preach on Sunday morning, <clears throat> where he is, he is preaching, not, not in and of himself, but with the, power, with the Holy Spirit's help, to affect your conscience so that your life will change. And that's what Micah did, or was attempting to do at least. Now, there's a threefold purpose of Micah here. One, was, one is this, the first one, to present the nature of God's complaint against his covenant people. To present the nature of God's complaint against his covenant people. God has a complaint against his people. And you'll see that unfold in, in Micah as we go through it. And he tells them what he doesn't like. <laughs> That's one thing Micah did. Secondly, Micah wanted to proclaim the Lord's certain punishment of their many sins. The Lord's certain punishment of their many sins. Israel was guilty of sins, and God says, I'm going to punish you for those sins. And thirdly, to predict, to predict God's sure salvation to come, especially focusing on Messiah as the deliverer, to predict God's sure salvation to come. Mike is not only a message of judgment, but a message of hope. It's really great. Is the Messiah, is Christ found in Micah at all? Well, turn to chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. And it says there, and this is just one thing we'll point out. Think about Matthew, uh, Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Christ, right? It's quoted in what book, this verse? It's quoted in Matthew chapter 2. So Matthew quotes Micah here. So Christ is mentioned in Micah. We'll talk about that when we get to it. Now, what about the structure of Micah? By the way, have you ever been confused when reading the Minor Prophets? You look at it, and you, or the Prophets in general, and you look at it and you say, I don't even know what's going on here at all. It's just so confusing. There's so many cities. There's so much geography. There's so much history. There's so many kings. There's all this stuff. I don't even know what's going on. Have you ever been confused? Well, you're in good company because no less than Martin Luther in the 1500s felt the same way. You know what he said about the prophets? This is, a, you know, this is typical Martin Luther stuff right here. Martin Luther said this about the prophets. They, the prophets, have a queer way of talking. <laughs> like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you cannot make head or tail of them or see what they're getting at. So if you have a problem trying to follow prophets... You're in good company. Martin Luther had the same problem. Myself, I've read through Micah just this week several times, and I'm like, huh? <laughs> At times, I'm wondering, what's going on? Other times, I'm beginning to see a picture emerge more clearly. But there's three major sections, and I'm not going to kill you with details right now. Three major sections. I think you'll understand this part of it good and clear, though, in Micah. There's seven chapters, right? First two chapters are one section. The last two are the third section. The middle three are the middle section. One and two, first section. Three through five, one section. And six and seven, one section. And let's make it simple. They all start with the word here. <clears throat> Look at Matthew 1, 2, the first section. He says, hear, O peoples, all of you. That's an imperative. It's a command. God's saying, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. 
That's the first section. Starts with the word here. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> Micah says, And I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob. Another imperative, another command. Listen to what I'm telling you. And then chapter 6, the third here, verse 1, Hear now what the Lord is saying. Three times <clears throat> to kind of mark the divisions of, this, of these of chapters here. And every message you have a summons to hear God's word. Listen to what I'm telling you. You have a message of judgment, and you have a message of hope. Listen up. I'm going to drop the judgment on you, but I'm going to give you hope as well, all three times. So we will, I won't go into some elaborate outline at this point, but let me just say in conclusion, <clears throat> what can we learn from Micah? I think if I, if you, the outline, if I, if what I just said about the word here, if you'll just grasp hold of that, that'll be the easiest way to remember this for right now. What can we learn from Micah? <clears throat> we can learn something about God's character. We can learn that God hates sin. As you read these words in Micah, we can learn that God hates injustice. We can learn that God hates people treating other people unjustly. He hates that with a passion. We can learn that God will judge his people for their sin. He judged the northern kingdom. Boy, he, he let them have it. He eventually judges the southern kingdom. And don't think that believers today are exempt from the Lord's discipline. Don't think, well, that's, that's Israel back then. God's not going to do anything to me. Don't think that, you're, that we're exempt from God judging our sin. Now, God judged our sin on Calvary. I understand that on the cross. But don't think that you can live any way you want to and God's not going to discipline you for it. He's still in that business. <clears throat> We learn that God expects spiritual leaders to set the right example, unlike the leadership in Micah's time. And he tells them, you guys are all wrong. You need to set the right example for the people. Spiritual leadership is an important responsibility. So we learn something about God's character. We learn something about the Messiah. Christ is prophesied in the Old Testament as well as being preached in the New Testament. It didn't just, it's not just the New Testament. And Christ has always been the answer to man's sin. Man's greatest problem is his sin. Christ has always been the answer. And then lastly, we're, we learn something about our responsibility. Look at Micah 6, and we'll close. <clears throat> Micah 6, 6 through 8. Something about our responsibility. What does God require of us? He says here, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present the firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you. God has already told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, people of God? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. There it is in a nutshell. That's our responsibility. Do justly, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. And these are some of the lessons we're going to be learning from the book of Micah. So as Ryan encouraged you guys to read Habakkuk, I'm encouraging you to read the book of Micah as well. I wanted to have a portrait of uh, Micah as Ryan had of Habakkuk, but I decided against it because I didn't think it was a good idea. <laughs> Even though I really hate not doing it, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> There's no portrait of existing uh, that exists of Micah, by the way. But I was going to put one up there anyway. But... I encourage you to read the book of Micah, seven chapters, and you'll say, probably, huh? 
But keep reading it and keep studying it, and you'll begin to get there more and more. We'll all begin to get there together. Trust me, I don't have all the answers either. Do the best I can. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray uh, for uh, our church tonight. We just pray we'll be transformed by your word, whether it's Micah, whether it's in Luke, as Mike's preaching on Sunday morning. Whatever portion, we'll let it speak to us. We'll let it change our lives, transform us to be the kind of people that would please you, that we walk humbly with you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.